Hey everybody, welcome to West Seattle Christian Online. If you're new, welcome. If not, welcome back. So today I want to start with a little bit of a recap. Um, we have talked about the beginning of the Bible, creation, then a bunch of people in Genesis 1 through 11 who God invites to trust his story. And every time they don't trust his story, chaos breaks out. And so finally, in Genesis 12, God partners with a guy named Abraham. And so he trusts God. God uses him to be the foundation stone for a group of people that he wants to be his representatives in the world. One of the questions we asked back then was, what kind of person would God use to build his kingdom people upon? What kind of person would God say, okay, that's a person I can work with? And what we said about Abraham was that he was a guy who was willing to hang in there. And he kept saying this phrase, here I am, even in the hard times, Hineni. And then we talked about Jacob and Joseph and the Exodus and the Ten Commandments. And then last week we talked about the Israelites and their wanderings in the, de in the desert, in the Negev. And the parallels this presents for us as our story lines up with theirs. And how God is trying to shape us into people who learn to hear God's voice. Because one of the key uh, phrases that we looked at last week was, man doesn't live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Now, the children of Israel, they wander around in the desert for 40 years, and they get ready to go into the promised land. And so they have this big ceremony, and all of the younger males get circumcised, which is weird and raises a bunch of questions. And they get ready to cross the Jordan River. And the priests grab the ark and they put their feet in and the water parts and they go across. And the very first city that they face is a city called Jericho. And that's where we're going to kind of camp out today. And we're going to ask a different question today. And that question is this, because we already talked about what kind of person does God want to build his nation with. Well, what we're going to wrestle with today is this. What kind of person does God want to use to take ground? What kind of person uh, does God want to invest in in order to advance his kingdom? And I think that that's a good question for all of us to ask, because I think all of us, if you call, your, if you call yourself a Christian, would like to see God's kingdom advance, even in this little place we call home here in West Seattle. I hope you agree. So we got to figure out, like, what kind of people do we need to be? What is it about us that God could use? That's a really significant thing that we need to figure out. Like right now, we need to figure it out right now. Back in Deuteronomy 31, Moses is told by God that he's not going to enter into the promised land. And there's a lot of layers to that, but it's because Moses took credit for something that God did. And there's a lesson there, I think. And this is one of the reasons after a lot of years, I mean, many years in ministry, that I get concerned when people get all excited and happy about churches that grow really fast or get really large and get even larger and larger and larger. Because when I see a church growing really, really quickly, it, it can be a really good thing. But people tend to focus on the speed and the growth then, and they forget to focus on God. And the point of being the people of God, the church, is not to be a fast-growing church or a really, really large church or even a small church. The point of church is the people of God focusing on God to become more like Jesus. So if you focus on speed or growth and size, or is my gen set here, or do they have everything I want, if you get those things confused with a true focus on Jesus, then you can rob yourself of the promised land like Moses did. And I think that would be a shame because I think God is up to something here in West Seattle in our church. I think he wants us to be about advancing his kingdom. And when we're not faithful to that, to advancing God's kingdom, you know what we get to see? 
nothing. Nothing. There's the deal. You get to pick what kind of church you want to be. Notice I didn't say pick what kind of church you want to go to. You get to pick what kind of church you want to be. You get to pick what kind of church you're going to be a part of by joining ranks and contributing, participating, serving, or just not and not do anything. We need to keep our eye on the prize. So God tells Moses, because he didn't keep his eye on the prize, we're going to select a successor for you. And, he's going to, and it's going to be this guy named Joshua. And here's what it says in Joshua 1, verses 1 through 6. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' aid, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now then, you and all these people, get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land I'm about to give to them, to the Israelites. I will give you every place where you set your foot, as I promised Moses. Your territory will extend from the desert to Lebanon and from the great river, the Euphrates, all the Hittite country to the Mediterranean Sea in the west. And no one will be able to stand against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Be strong and courageous because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their ancestors to give them. So God sets Joshua aside, and it's this really big moment. And Joshua is told to be strong and courageous. In fact, if you keep reading in your Bible, you'll see that Joshua is told by God and his fellow Israelites nine times to be strong and courageous. You've got to ask why that is. And I think it's because he's scared, because he needs to hear it. And the last people who, hear, who tell him, uh, who say that to him, they're like, we're going we're gonna to follow you just like Moses did. And he's like, great. <laughs> well, Joshua is scared to death, and he is, and he should be, because he's about to take God's special people into a land that they've never been in, and they're going to go to war with people that they've never met before. And war is scary. It's scary stuff. Joshua is scared to death to take the next step God is asking him to. Question. Is this maybe like some of the steps of faith that God is asking you to take? So the question is how? How do we be strong? And courageous and I want you to say these words to yourself when we read them these are the next words God speaks to Joshua in Joshua 1 7 be strong and very courageous be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave to you do not turn from it to the right or to the left that you may be successful wherever you go keep this book of the law always on your lips meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it then you will be prosperous and successful. Have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous? Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. Right in the middle of that text is the answer to our question. How do we be strong and courageous? The word says meditate on it. The Hebrew here is the word haga, haga on it. What is haga? What does it mean to haga? In the Hebrew, Haggah is the Hebrew word for growl. So when it says meditate, it doesn't mean go off and be on namaste about it. There's plenty of thoughtful reflection like that uh, that we can do in our spiritual formation. But meditate here means Haggah on it, growl. It means to roar. It means to tear up uh, like a lion eating a gazelle. That's what it means. Meditate on it day and night. Then you'll be careful to do everything written in it. Then you'll be prosperous and successful. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. 
So how are they going to be strong and courageous? Haga is what it says. Tear into it. Growl over it. Listen, this is what this is what God says. The question for you is this. Do you think God means this? Is he kidding when he says tear it, tear into the law and Haggai, growl over it like, like a lion not sharing its meal? Do you think God doesn't know that you're scared to take whatever the next step is he's asking you to take? Do you think he doesn't know you feel afraid or timid or maybe just weird talking about your faith and inviting your friends to church with you? Because God wants you to bring others to faith with him. God wants you to share his love with others. If you want to be strong and courageous, equal to the task that God's going to ask you to do, because you can be sure of this, he is going to ask you to step out in faith. Listen to me. The kind of people that God uses to advance his kingdom are scared to death, just like Joshua. If you're going to be the kind of person that advances God's kingdom, it's not about being absent of fear. Courage isn't the lack of fear. Courage looks fear in the face and says, you will not win. You're going to face fear. But if you're not facing any fears, if there are no butterflies in your stomach, then you're probably not stepping out into the new territory of faith. Will you be like the spies who looked at the promised land way back in Numbers 13? Twelve spies went in. Caleb and Joshua says, we can take this land. And the other ten say, nope, no, we can't. And they rebelled, which is worse than doing nothing. And this is why the Israelites were wanderers in the desert for 40 years. Even if you're afraid, if you trust God and take the next step forward, those are the kind of people that God uses throughout the scriptures. I mean, we want to look at Joshua and think, man, he must have been so spiritual and fearless. Nope. <laughs> he was scared to death. And the truth is, even in spite of that, he was willing to do something that I think gave him the courage that he needed. He took God at his word. He obeyed him by keeping the law and remembering what God asked him to do. He trusted God in this. He haggad the text, the law. It's always in the text, my friends, because then you will be prosperous and successful. Wouldn't that, I mean, wouldn't that be nice wherever you go to be prosperous and successful? So what kind of of people does God use to take ground, to advance his kingdom? People who, even though they may have fears and doubts about what God is calling them into, they face those fears head on. They haggad the text so they can be strong and courageous. Well, there's another story about Joshua in chapter 2 that is good to point out. Joshua sends two spies into Jericho to kind of case the joint because the Israelites are getting ready to come and attack. And before they attack, they do this little reconnaissance mission and send a couple guys into the city to scope it out. And they hide in a house of a lady named Rahab. And Rahab is a prostitute. She's one of those people. So I'm going to paraphrase this for you. In Joshua 2, uh, verses 2 through 7, she hides these guys in a pile of straw up on a roof. And the king of Jericho finds out that these guys are there. So they go to Rahab's house and they're like, we heard you got some of these Jewish spies. And she's like, well, they were here, uh, but they left. So she lies and God blesses her for it. So I'll just leave you with that little that little treasure for you right there. And so they come back down and the spies are like, thanks. And she's like, listen, we've heard the stories about what your God has done. And we know that the city is going to fall. It is inevitable. And we are scared. And she says, Here's the one thing that I would ask of you. When you guys come in and destroy the city, please spare me and my family. And they're like, okay. 
hang a scarlet thread outside of your window, and when we come, anybody that's in your household will be spared. Okay, so they do all this. The Israelites march around the city, they blow the horns, the walls fall down, and they spare her life, and they bring her into the fold, and she is then strategically used by God for the Israelites to come in and advance the kingdom God has tasked them to do. God uses prostitutes. And you might think that's a joke, but it's not. It is not. I can tell you how many times I've heard, I just need to get some things right in my life first, then I'll follow Jesus. Or, you know, I've even thought my, that myself. Besides being alive from the pit of hell, it's a great idea. That is not who God uses. God doesn't use people who have it all figured out. God doesn't use perfect people. There are none. There are a whole lot of people running around thinking that, man, we're morally bankrupt and in inadequate and that God doesn't like us and he, he doesn't want anything to do with us. He could never use us. He could never love us. Therefore, he could never use us. And God's like, are you serious? Read my lineage because Rahab the prostitute is the mother of Boaz. She's in the lineage of Jesus. And there's no, if there's no Rahab, there's no Jesus, <laughs> right? And then her son Boaz becomes the kinsman redeemer of Ruth. And he ends up marrying a Moabite, a Gentile. Oh my gosh. The Israelites would have considered Ruth worse than a prostitute, by the way. You know what? I don't know what you've done where you might think that you've done something unforgivable. And I don't know where you've been. I, I don't know the wounds that you've inflicted on others or that others have inflicted on you. I don't know that stuff. Maybe if you and I were friends long enough and we journeyed deep enough, then we would learn that about each other. But I don't know that about you. I don't, I don't know that. But I do know God who does, and he knows it all. And the thing about being omniscient and omnipotent and omnipresent, the thing about our God is he knew you before time began. He knows your story, every good thing, every bad thing, every hard thing. Every blessing, every step of your story, he knew before the creation of the world. And he knew it when he said, I love you. I want you to partner with me in the restoration of all things. He knew it. And listen, should, should we work on being morally upright and improving? Absolutely. But just because you have made poor choices doesn't disqualify you from serving Jesus. In fact, it seems like if you read your Bible, it's kind of a prerequisite. God uses people who are scared to death to step out in faith. God uses people who are not morally perfect. God uses people who don't have it all figured out. He uses people who the rest of the world would look down their nose at, and he says, that's the kind of person I'm into using so that my glory can be displayed. Don't you just love that? Like That gives a guy like me some hope. And if you're anything like me, I try to do the right things, but I find myself in positions where I don't. And God's chosen leaders... And his chosen people, they were like that too. So now, what then? What, what do we need? If, if, we're, if we are to be strong and courageous and take ground for God, what do we need? We don't need to be fearless. We don't need to be morally perfect. Then what do we need? Well, I suggest we fast forward to Jesus for a second and see if and how his life matches up with this idea of taking ground for God. Uh, in, the, in the spiritual kingdom sense, did Jesus really see this reality in his life? Did he recognize it? Was he following God's lead? Well, if you look at Matthew 11 for a second, Jesus has just 
finishing a conversation with John's disciples where they ask him a question that's basically saying, this is John the Baptist's disciples, and they're basically asking him, when are you going to get started on this new kingdom thing? Because that's what messiahs do. And Jesus replies with some scripture he quotes from the Old Testament. And, and what this is, is kind of like rabbinical judo that I don't have time to explain right now. But basically he's telling John, you aren't going to get out of prison. And I'm sorry, this isn't going to turn out the way you thought it was going to turn out. And then Jesus says some stuff that's pretty confusing. He's, he says, starting in verse 11, truly I tell you, among those born of women, there has not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist. Yet whoever is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has been subjected to violence, and violent people have been raiding it. For all the prophets and the law prophesied until John, and if you're willing to accept it, he is the Elijah who was to come. Whoever has ears, let them hear. Now, there's a little note there about the translation in verse 12. And in the NIV version of the scriptures, it says that that phrase can be translated as the kingdom of heaven has been forcefully advancing and forceful people have been advancing it. And the word used there is viazzo. And it's actually viazomai. And it means violently advancing. Forceful doesn't even quite do it. The word here is violent. Jesus says the kingdom is violently advancing and violent men are taking hold of it, which sounds like the exact opposite of everything else Jesus ever said, right? Somebody punches you in the face, what do you do? You turn the other cheek. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are the persecuted. Love your enemies. Pray for them. Bless them and do not curse them. But Jesus says the kingdom is violently advancing and violent men take a hold of it. What? And there's this problem there, and it has to do with the original languages. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John were all Jews whose native language was Hebrew. Greek is a second language to them, and they learned Greek from reading the Septuagint, which was in the Greek, which is the Greek translation of the Hebrew Old Testament scriptures. The Hebrew Old Testament was translated into Greek about 250 years before the time of Jesus, called the Septuagint. So it's helpful if you can find the word biazo in the Septuagint and look at what Hebrew word corresponds to it in the original Hebrew texts of the Old Testament. Because if you do that, you find some interesting things. When you find the Greek word biadzo in the, in the Septuagint, it's translating the Hebrew word prats. In modern Hebrew, prats is the word for dynamite. Now, I want you to think about this for a second. When Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are thinking of the word for violent or forceful, What's the idea that's coming to their mind? What's the picture they're seeing and imagining in their brain? It's not a fist fight. It's not a sword fight. It's not a or Krav Maga, like Jewish martial arts. What they're thinking is it's dynamite. It's explosive. Now, they, they didn't have, you know, they didn't think of dynamite in the same sense we do back then because it didn't exist. Probably the closest thing that they, if you could imagine it, comes from Micah, 1 13 through 14 which is a prophecy about the coming messiah uh it says or micah 2 sorry if it says this i will surely gather all of you jacob i will surely bring together the remnant of israel i will bring them together like sheep in a pen like a flock in its pasture the place will throng with people 
the one who breaks open the way will go up before them. They will break through the gate and go out. Their king will pass through before them, the Lord at their head. So the word for breaks open here is the word prats. It's biato. It's not just, you know, carefully open the gate of the pen and all the animals just trot out serenely and calmly. It's like, boom, they're all just pushing and trying to get out. The one who explodes the way open will go up before them is what it says. It's like, it's like this. A couple years ago, uh, we went on a family vacation in central Oregon. And on our way down to Crater Lake, we stopped at this awesome alpaca farm near Madras. And uh, we saw all these alpacas let out of their pen. It was a madhouse. It was crazy. It was prats. This prophecy in Micah is actually talking about John the Baptist. Who was the one who breaks open, who prats the way? He's the exploder. He's the one who comes through and blows open the gate. It says, and then and they will break through the gate and go out. Their king will pass through before them, the Lord at their head. So John is the one who explodes through. And who's the king? It's Jesus. Who's the one who blows open the way? John. And what are we supposed to do? says we're supposed to explode out this is what you're called to do you don't have to be fearless you don't have to be morally perfect you cannot prepare enough it's like you've been shut up behind a pen for so long and the way has finally been opened it's burst open like a dam you were captive like israel but now you're free you just have to be ready to passionately fire out into the community and do something for Jesus. And this really matters if we want people to come to know and love Jesus. God is just getting started with us. There's a lot more for us to do. God has asked us to be explosive with our faith. He's asked us to stare down our fears. Putting the world back together is God's mission. And it's how he takes ground. It's what he's called us to do. And it means all of us, all of you, are responsible to haga the text and follow the way of Jesus so that you can share him in his way with the people you know. Are you willing to take the next step God is asking you to? Are you ready to prats so that the kingdom can advance? I'm Worth Wheeler for West Seattle Christian. Stay rooted and deep in Jesus and produce good fruit, my friends.